Our first reading is 1 Kings 5, 1 to 12. You'll find this in the Old Testament section of the Church Bibles, and that's page 329. Now King Hiram of Tyre sent his servants to Solomon when he heard that they had anointed him king in the place of his father, for Hiram had always been a friend to David. Solomon sent word to Hiram, saying, You know that my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord, his God, because of the warfare which his enemies surrounded him, until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. So I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord said to my father David, Your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, shall build the house for my name. Therefore command that cedars from the Lebanon be set, cut for me. My servants will join your servants, and I will give you whatever wages you set for your servants. For you know that there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. When Hiram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord today, who has given to David a wise son to be over his great people. Hiram sent word to Solomon, I have heard the message that you have sent me. I will fulfill your needs in the matter of cedar and cypress timber. My servants shall bring it down to the sea from the Lebanon. I will make it into rafts to go by sea to the place you indicate. I will have them broken up up there for you to take away, and you shall meet my needs by providing food for my household. So Hiram supplied Solomon every need for timber of cedar and cypress. Solomon, in turn, gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household, and 20 cores of fine oil. Solomon gave this to Hiram year by year. So the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised him. There was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty. I've been travelling for a little over a day now, and I can begin to see the outline of the city walls in the distance. I knew it would take longer this trip, as the weather has been so staggeringly hot and I have needed to pace myself so that Father can keep up. This trip is special, an unplanned addition to our annual pilgrimages, but one that my father so earnestly desired, and if I'm honest, so did I. It will likely be his last, and who could deny a man that? We've all seen it before, heard the stories of how it was built under the inspiration of Yahweh, but nothing prepares you for that feeling as you ascend the mount and slowly the sounds, smells, and sights of the holiest place on earth start to greet you. Taking the steps one by one, slowly and deliberately, you allow your mind to empty itself. It's almost as if the process of the journey is all part of the wider, larger process itself. That even before you make it to the steps ascending to the plateau, you have been emptying, clarifying, restoring. For me, the journey to the temple is as rewarding and necessary as the time being there. I suppose you're all familiar with it. The undeniable pleasure in finding space and time to reflect and to prepare to be in the presence of the Creator. Or perhaps you're not. Perhaps actually you lucky Jerusalemites can easily become complacent with such majesty, such divinity on your doorstep. Do you ever challenge yourselves to stop? to remind yourself that you stand on holy ground and that it was set aside with intent. 
with deliberate action and costly preparation. Yahweh is there. I can hear some sceptical mutterings and friends, that's okay, but before I carry on my way and rouse my father from his afternoon nap so that we can finish our journey today, perhaps I could ask you to try something with me. Now, now, no need to be afraid, just humour me. Close your eyes. Come along now, all of you. Close them tight. Stop thinking about whether there is time to get to the market before Shabbat begins or whether little David will ever do better in his Torah studies. Close your eyes, and as you close them, clench your fists tight. Take a deep breath in, and as you slowly exhale, so too slowly open your hands. There, just there, be there in that stillness and in that silence. Keep your breath slow and steady. Deep, nourishing, calming breaths. And now in the stillness, dwell on where you have been this week and seen the wonders of Yahweh displayed throughout the world in which you walk. And still, remaining in that stillness and quietness, reflect on where you have been this week and it has felt as if Yahweh has left your side. And now, retaining that stillness for just a little longer, think to where this week you might have been able to see Yahweh harder, pushing to touch the hem of the royal robe. What obstacles have been put up against you that you have not overcome? What challenges have presented themselves which you have felt insurmountable? Slowly now, open your eyes and raise your palms up and slowly turn to place them on your knees. Friends, the temple was not built in a day, neither will the kingdom come in a flash. Slow, steady, deliberate steps towards the mount. That's what we can do. And now I must leave you. I can hear my father calling for his after-nap snack, and I could do with a little bite to eat myself. Perhaps some bread and wine, if any can be found on the journey. I wish you all the best. Goodbye. Our second reading is taken from Romans 12, verses 1 to 8. This is in the New Testament section of the Church Bibles, page 172. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that give, differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. 
one of the most memorable lines and scenes from the greatest science fiction franchise of all time goes something like this. A man is dying, trapped behind glass, and his best friend, a companion of many years and many adventures, can't get to him or else he will die himself. The man who is facing his last few minutes turns to his friend and says, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Soon after this, he dies. Now, even if you are not familiar with Star Trek The Wrath of Khan or the subsequent reimagination in the film Star Trek Into Darkness, this language of sacrifice is not unfamiliar to those of us who follow Christ. In fact, I did consider rewriting that narrative as if it were a gospel account and asking all of you to, to see if you could point out whereabouts in the gospels it could be found. First of all, I thought that was a bit mean. And second of all, you've probably had enough of my attempts at creative writing already this morning. But the language of sacrifice is a powerful theme that the Christian faith could not exist without. And this is where we find ourselves in our reading from Romans today. Back to that theme of sacrifice. Sacrifice often has a negative connotation, especially in contemporary society. Oh, I've sacrificed so much for him, her, them, and they just don't appreciate it. Or when it makes room for the positive, it comes loaded with sadness and remorse. Their sacrifice will not be forgotten. The sacrifice they made will not be in vain. However, Paul, in the passage from Romans today, speaks very highly, even excitedly, of sacrifice. I appeal to you, therefore, my family, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It sounds alien to a living sacrifice. He's excited. And how can a sacrifice be living? To understand this, we need to understand his context as a Jewish Christian in the first century. Earlier in the service, we were introduced to a traveler on his way to the temple in Jerusalem. For context, this was the first temple before it was destroyed, and therefore not the temple that Jesus and later Paul would have been familiar with. But the context remains the same. The temple is where Yahweh can be found, can be worshipped, can have sacrifices made unto him. God is rooted, is easily found, is connected to the chosen people of Israel through the priests and their acts of sacrifice. Our traveling friend and countless others like him over the centuries of the Judaic temple periods would have paid for the slaughtering of millions of birds and beasts, all to connect and to be closer to the one which created them. For Paul and his contemporaries, sacrifice was in their DNA. And Jesus embodied this genetic predisposition. Through the act of sacrifice, the Israelites were cleaned of their transgressions, brought closer to the divine, and set right on the path before them. It was a mystical, historical, and rich tradition, one in which many ways we continue today when we come to eat at the Lord's table. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As we draw closer today to come and share bread and wine with one another, we are reminded of our friend on his way to the temple, the one who encouraged us to stop and think and be 
because Yahweh is there. But what if God isn't just there? Not just in this figurative other place. What if God is here? If God is always here, then grammatically, wherever you are, here or there, God is here also. Work that one out in your head. So, sorry, I'm going to bring Star Trek up again. There's a new series airing later this month, and so therefore I am daily and religiously checking for news and updates, trailers and photos, and it's very much front of my mind, as Steve will attest to. But there is method in my madness. The vision of Star Trek, as detailed by its creator, Gene Roddenberry, was for a utopian future of harmony in the universe in which everyone had found their purpose and place. This is no, fine, no more finely represented than in a crew of a starship. Everyone has a job to do, a role to fulfill, a purpose to achieve, and no one maligned or lessened because of it. Role and rank were used deliberately to subvert the traditional understanding of role and rank. This quote from Roddenberry to me almost feels as if he was continuing the words that we find in Romans 12.4. Star Trek was an attempt to say that humanity will reach maturity and wisdom on the day that it begins not just to tolerate, but take a special delight in differences in ideas and differences in life forms. If we cannot learn to actually enjoy those small differences to take a positive delight in those small differences between our own kind here on this planet, then we do not deserve to go out into space and meet the diversity that is almost certainly out there. Sometimes I feel that can be applied to us here or in any Christian worshipping community. If we cannot learn to actually enjoy those small differences, to take a positive delight in those small differences between our own kind, replaced here on this planet with here in Bloomsbury, here in London, here in the UK, then we do not deserve fill in the blank. It is in our differences, not despite or against them, that humanity best succeeds in the divine purpose of kingdom building laid before us. If we, the members and friends of Bloomsbury Central Baptist Church, are all officers and crew persons on the USS Enterprise, we all have a job to do that keeps the ship going in the right direction. Spreading the good news of the United Federation of... No, wait, hang on. The good news of Jesus Christ among the stars. It's staggering to think, isn't it, that we are all united in that one purpose and have been since the day that God first created. In our call to worship this morning, we acknowledge that God has no end, has no beginning. In our prayers that followed, we acknowledge that God has no end, has no beginning. And since that end, no end and no beginning, we have been ordained in that purpose of kingdom building. We were then renewed in the life and mission and death and resurrection of Christ. And then again in the continued work of the apostles and the billions of followers of the way that have come since. It's an epic and even grander adventure, bigger than even the likes that the imagination of Gene Roddenberry could think of. Through the act of sacrifice of community being, of placing the value and importance of the other before your own value and importance, we come closer to being like the one who sacrificed it all. It reminds us that sacrifice as a community of believers in Christ needs to be daily, that the new temple is not in Jerusalem, not in St. Paul's or at Westminster, not even here in the building, this great building, this historical building of Bloomsbury, 
but rather in the bodies and the actions of those who go out, sacrificing for the ones for the one that sacrificed themselves for us. This daily living sacrifice is not brought or exchanged for goods or coins in the temple courtyard. There is no need to purchase a dove for four ninety nine or two for seven fifty. Our sacrifice is to the building of the kingdom, so that the last may be first, that our talents, our skills, our passions, our delights are all used and honoured and respected. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. What a command, what a challenge, what a hopeful promise that we all have a part to play in, a task to do, a purpose to fulfill. This is something that has challenged many of us a great deal at Bloomsbury in recent months. How do we enable all to be and do? Not just to be served, but to serve. And it's the call of a journey that has been sent through the ages and deeply wrestled with along the way. We must take great heart, however, uh, for unlike our friend who found himself trekking once again to Jerusalem or the intrepid explorers of the USS Enterprise, we can take comfort, find peace, and seek the challenge in knowing that Yahweh is here. 